This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Thank you for giving me some time today. I'm Dan McNeil, and this is the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Thank you, baby Capone, Adam Delavitt, the big boss man there, for giving me yet another opportunity to earn a paycheck, sharing with you my convictions about the National Football League, and they are strong ones today as we head into one of the greatest days on the sports calendar. Championship Sunday is here And, oh, do I have confidence on my two plays and how I love how the worm has turned and the NFL remains a league where defense counts for something. Quite a departure from the way people were thinking five NFL seasons ago, four calendar years, uh, going back to 18. I'll get to that in just a little bit. But I want to start you today enthusiastically giving some free career advice to the free agent of the year, Sean Payton, former head coach of the New Orleans Saints. It doesn't appear the dominoes are going to fall until Payton makes his decision on where he wants to coach, if he wants to coach in 2023, and there are five openings available. He gets his pick of the litter if he wants. Let's look at those five opportunities and what I would do if I were Sean Payton. We'll start with the Indianapolis Colts. What do they have at the quarterback position? The same thing they've had since Andrew Luck retired in 2019 unexpectedly. They have Band-Aids on the horizon. Who's going to be this year's Matt Ryan? Who was the last year's Carson Wentz? Who was Phillip Rivers? They've been reeling. And another reason this job is incredibly unappealing to me is a crazy-ass owner. Jimmy Ursay is El Loco. You want that guy breathing over, looking over your shoulder, breathing down your neck. You breathe down someone's neck, right? You look over their shoulder. I don't want that kind of meddling. I'm not sure Chris Ballard is the general manager. So many of us, and I was included in that, thought he was going to be when the Colts started so hot last season before crapping the bet against the Raiders at home in Week 17 and then losing to Jacksonville in week 18 and that's before Jacksonville had any had any respect offensively. So I I am writing off Indianapolis if I'm Sean Payton. Let's take a look at Denver. If if these five jobs aren't in quarterback flux, there are two of them including the Denver Broncos that are in quarterback stucks. Whether you sold Russell, Russell Wilson stock before the deal between Seattle and it doesn't matter. 
you're stuck with him. You're in Stucksville in Denver for at least the next two years. The general manager, George Payton, has not really shown much of a sign to give you a reason to believe he's going to be a great NFL GM. In two years, he's taken them far more backwards than forwards. Nothing more notable than the off-the-charts terrible decision to hire Nathaniel Hackett. And then he locks up Wilson. It's not as high as the number you've been seeing. I continue to see, what, the $235 million contract that the Broncos, that's not what they have guaranteed to Wilson. It's only $165 million. But because of that, he's going to be the guy under center. Two years ago, their best player was rookie running back Javante Williams out of North Carolina. He blew out his knee early in the season last year. Is he going to be the same player he was? Or is that going to be another of the NFL's many one-hit wonders, two-hit wonders at the running back position? Scratch Denver, or as Phil Sims likes to say, Denver. Uh, I miss him on Sundays. He was such a likable boob. Uh, Then again, I guess Romo is too for a lot of people, but Phil Sims did it better. A guy who spent 35 seconds trying to explain the ground can't cause a fumble. And then there's a long pause at the end of his 35 seconds. And he says, I guess what I'm trying to say is the ground can't cause a fumble. I miss him. He he sounds like a, a, a smarter guy when he's in the studio. He dresses like a clown, like a rube which is what he is, but he doesn't sound as as awkwardly dumb as he did on game day, and that's a harder job than a lot of people think it is. So scratch the Broncos off my list. Now, how about the Houston Texans? You've got no quarterback unless you see something in Davis Mills the rest of the NFL world doesn't see. You no longer have the luxury of saying, hey, we reside in the AFC South. Jacksonville right now is the class of the division, and you're looking up at Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence for the next several years. That is not the job it was two years ago. The Jaguars are back. I need more than a nice young running back, Damian Pierce, to entice me to Houston. Throw in the fact you got an organization that is still in recovery mode from what Bill O'Brien did a few years ago. Hmm, Let me see. What do I do with the best receiver in the game, or one of anyway, and DeAndre Hopkins? Because I don't like him, because he's a diva, I think I'll trade him to Arizona for a freaking running back. And as much as I respect the running back position, they're fungible assets. That's just the way of the world. It doesn't make it right if you're a running back. And I was the guy advocating for several years, a few years back. The running backs need to form their union within the union and demand more pay and more stability rather than seeing some of the greats who ever played the position like Adrian Peterson have to go on a farewell tour and hit five cities over a four-year period. Just, Just not right. So Houston is off for me. Back-to-back one-and-dones for head coaches. Lovey Smith this past season. Um, David Culley the year before. That's, that, that shows to me you're still an organization that doesn't know what the hell it's doing. So scratch Houston off my list. How about the Arizona Cardinals? You're locked into Kyler Murray. You're in Stucksville just like the Broncos are with Wilson. Uh, and by the way, your quarterback, who remains short in, in verticality, I love verticality. See the movie Molly's Game? Oh, that's so well. That's so well done. 
A true story, by the way, about Molly Bloom, played by the great Jessica Chastain, who formed her own multi-million dollar empire by by being the person who hosted card games among the Los Angeles elite initially and then going to New York. And every guy, she said, would line up to to give his money to Derek Jeter. She didn't say it by name, but that's that's who she was referring to, as we later learned in more examination of that film. But uh, she had the, the, a philosophy uh, on many levels that, that I agreed with on so many things. And Kyler Murray ain't somebody I'm putting my eggs and not doing that. He's underachieved and he's locked into big money. Um, I'd, I'd have to have an out at quarterback if I'm going to the Arizona Cardinals. And just as I mentioned with the Broncos having questionable judgment, on the not questionable, terrible judgment on Hackett and the decision to hire him, George Payton's decision. Look at what the Cardinals have done. And I know there's been a change in their, their general manager. They they got a guy with a cool name, uh, Austin Fort. Uh, it's fun to say. It sounds like a hockey player, though, doesn't it? Aussie, they would call him in hockey. I, I, I'm i not ready. They, they hired Cliff Kingsbury four years ago, and they had to eat his contract. I doubt they'll have to pay. If he decides to stop vacationing to Thailand and maybe take a job, um, they'll be, they will be—they won't have to pay him. But if he keeps going to Thailand and places like that to puff out his chest and let the world know he's on the Cardinals' dime for the next few years, the Cardinals have an out. They won't have to pay him all that, and there will be litigation, and there won't be any joy in Maricopa County. I am not taking the Cardinals' job if I'm Sean Payton. What what's the best sales pitch? If, if you're the Carolina Panthers, what do you have you think that would entice the best possible coaching free agent out there? The only selling point to me is you are in the limp ass NFC South. Tampa doesn't have anything that scares you. Their quarterback, Tom Brady, Probably won't stay. And even if he does, he has shown signs he's on the decline. You put all the qualifiers on the Buccaneers you want to. They didn't have Luke Jensen until their playoff game. Um, You know, Mike Evans is a nut job who missed a game or two with suspensions. There were a lot of excuses. Brady still sucked down the stretch. He, He wasn't good at all in that playoff game. So that's what you got if you're Carolina. You you reside in the NFC South. And that's it. You got no quarterback. The Panthers traded their best player in full-blown tank mode during the season. Off you go, Christian McCaffrey. You fire the head coach, Matt Rule. You bring in Steve Wilkes, who had been to Carolina as the D.C. defensive coordinator, for those of you who don't speak the acronym language of this delicious NFL, for Ron Rivera. And then he got screwed in Arizona. He got only one year. More evidence the Cardinals don't know anything about what they're doing and are just drifting aimlessly. Uh, but I'm on Carolina right now, so let me say. They, the, the job Wilkes did. He goes 6-6 six and six back end of the season. Not good enough. I question their football judgment there. So I'm out on Carolina. Yeah, if I'm Sean Payton, I am staying with my television job. I am going to remain a guy who can take easy money 
uh, because you don't have to work that hard on a television set. If you're an ex-coach or an ex-player, you're pretty much just an actor in short soundbite form. I'm going to stay comfortably ensconced in my TV job. And next year, I have an opportunity to go to a team unlike the five looking for a head coach right now that has a quarterback I can trust. I wait for Brandon Staley to coach his way out of the Chargers job, and I got all the confidence in the world he's going to do it, and I get Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert, in case you didn't know, first couple years in the league, he walks with the Giants, whoever played the position. And I don't mean the New York Giants. I'm not talking about Joe Pizarczyk. I'm talking about the best players in the first several years of their career. I'm talking about the Brett Favre's and, you know, the guys who Patrick Mahomes. That's where Justin Herbert is. That's the company he keeps. I'm waiting until next year if I'm Sean Payton. I get my pick of these jobs right now, but they're all a pile of feces. I'm waiting for the Chargers job to open. And who knows if Bill Belichick is going to continue to coach after after next season. Maybe Belichick finally walks away, in which case his successor inherits one of the best organizations in professional sports. It's an organization that has a penchant for cheating, um, but I, I don't care. It's it's an organization that has won. It's done good things. They have a nice stadium. They have a great fan base, and uh, I, I you know they 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 have managed to survive Inflate Gate and uh, in spying on practices and putting local radio on and opposing headsets when they come to Foxborough. So uh, uh, those are two jobs. If I'm Sean Payton, I'm waiting for for next year stay in the tv studio those things are all those jobs are all a death knell right now uh nfl news this week the cowboys responded to their 19 to 12 loss to the 49ers by whacking five assistant coaches you'll know two of those five guys assistant d-line coach leon let leon let smoked a marijuana cigarette and then did silly things in the end zone offensive line coach joe philbin also shown the door. I forever will remember Philbin for his uh, his awful performance on HBO's Hard Knocks when they went to the camp of the Miami Dolphins when Joe got a gig there and it demonstrated on 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 record. It chronicled vivid images of a Peter Principal head coach, a guy who had been elevated to his level of incompetence and how little Philbin was capable of handling the first controversy. And you're going to have to navigate your way through those as an NFL headmaster. When Ocho Cinco had made public comments that were embarrassing to the organization, Philbin had no clue how to deal with that and had to be coached by his PR staff. And there's nothing wrong with PR staffs doing their job. Not all of them do, surprisingly but Philbin was so overmatched. So now the Cowboys have them. Now they have got the world by the balls because they've parted ways with five assistants, Leon let Joe Philbin included. Will they lose Dan Quinn? Will one of these five teams looking for a boss go after 28 to three, Dan? That's who he'll always be to me. You know, when Dan Quinn gets my respect, not that he covets it, when he when he takes another team to a Super Bowl as head coach, he's always going to be, to me, the guy who blew a 25-point lead in a Super Bowl when his Falcons had their feet on the throats of the New England Patriots. And uh, 
you know, he's the defensive guy, but uh, grab Kyle Shanahan by the shirt collar and say, dude, run the ball and don't give it back to Tom Brady. Instead, they were throwing incompletions and they blew a 25 point lead. So lots of luck. If you're going to hire Dan Quinn, have at it, go nuts, set yourself back another four or five years. As I get to my picks for this weekend's games, the two championship games, I want to first take you back to 2018. Five seasons ago, four calendar years ago, when Sean McVay and the L.A. Rams set the NFL world ablaze with offense. Nintendo football points, 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 points. You probably recall, if you if you jog your memory, the Rams and the Chiefs playing in mid-November on Monday night football. And it was all offense. Rams quarterback Jared Goff got off. He threw for more more than 400 yards and four touchdowns. The Chiefs had a rising star in Patrick Mahomes, and he was hot too. Tyreek Hill had more than 200 receiving yards in that game, and Travis Kelsey had more than 100. That's your best tight end in league history, by the way. I love that song, bitch. What was the final in that one? Rams 54, Chiefs 51. And all were in agreement. It's an offensive-driven NFL, and you can't go deep into the playoffs without a great quarterback, great receivers. The Sean McVay train gained steam. And if you ever had a cup of coffee with McVay and you looked good in your dry fit on the sideline, you're one of these 30-something guys. You're getting a job. You know Sean McVay. Look at what a genius he is with the Los Angeles Rams. And he did get his Super Bowl ring a few years later, but how did he do in that first opportunity after the 18th season? The Patriots ran the ball better in the lowest scoring game in Super Bowl history and New England won 13 to 3. How's your offense now? All you millennials who were just drooling finally out of the prehistoric age of 3 3 yards in a cloud of dust. Defense doesn't matter. Don't hire a defensive coach ever. And the Matt LaFleurs of the world and the Cliff Kingsbury's of the world got gainful employment because it was a league that's all offense. I remember a conversation with former Bears head coach Dave Wanstead about this very topic the week of that 54-51 shit fest. And he was discouraged by the way the game had gone. He, he he's in the studio with us. He said, I said to my wife, Jan, on Tuesday morning, I couldn't coach. And, that, I, and he was disgusted by it. He was put off by offenses having their way with defenses. And I talked to my guy, a guy who has won championships as an assistant coach several times and was a very accomplished head coach in Miami, a second opportunity. I said, Dave, let me talk in off the ledge. Nobody reinvents this game. To sustain success in the NFL, you still have to block. You have to get off blocks. You have to make tackles. You have to harass the quarterback. You have to force turnovers. Those things haven't changed. And it's the defense of the two teams I like this week, as I list as the biggest reasons. I'm in love with what Burrow has done, too. 
He is a stud. His ascent to being among the best at the hardest position to play in sports is mercurial. Actually, it's meteoric. Mercurial means all over the place, I learned a few years ago, which is me, mercurial, all over the place. Joe Burrow is a stud. I love him. He hasn't lost to the Chiefs, but it was Cincinnati's defense that stepped it up and just throttled Buffalo on its own field. The beloved Bills and Josh Allen and the points machine and look how deep they are at wide receiver with Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis and the rookie. They got a good tight end in Dawson Knox and the Bengals just crushed them. They took that offense and chewed it up and spit it out. And what did the Bengals have on the other side of the ball? The Bills haven't had since Josh Allen arrived. They had two running backs who could knock the shit out of you. They had, uh, you have Joe Mixon, who has found fresh legs suddenly, and you have Sam J. P. Ryan. Love to say that, even though I may be mispronouncing the first name. Doesn't matter. He's P. Ryan, and he can run it up your butt. And that's what the Bengals can do when Burrow is not on. They can protect that lead by smashing you in the face, even with reserve offensive linemen. They dominated the line of scrimmage against the Bills. And the the Chiefs are really good. They're stiff up front. Chris Jones is a stud. He had 15 and a half sacks. Their D.C. Steve Bagnola is accomplished. He's a good schemer. Just a couple of years removed from being a super, a two-time Super Bowl participant with this squad. But I think the Bengals have more on both sides of the ball. It's not just Burrow. It's that defense. I wish Eli Apple would shut his freaking mouth this week and not uh, not give any bulletin board material. But uh, I like the Bengals because of their defense as much as I do. Mahomes hobbled has something to do with it. But even with a healthy Mahomes, he hasn't beaten the Bengals. And the Bengals are going to Burrowhead. They're going to Arrowhead Stadium. Give me the Bengals getting a point, maybe even two points by kickoff. Love my Bengals as a dog. And I'm taking the dog in the NFC game for the same reasons. I'm taking the 49ers because their defense is better than the Eagles. Now, what the, I'm not disrespecting Philly on that side of the ball. They had 70 sacks in the... That led the NFL this year, and it was only two sacks shy of the NFL record. They had four dudes with 10 sacks or more. You hear that, Bears fans? Four guys on the same defense with 10 sacks? I doubt the Bears ever had that, and that's not common. But they, you know, Hassan Reddick was a bitch this year. Fletcher Cox still gets great pressure on the quarterback. That's a really good defensive team. All due respect to the Eagles. I still think the Niners are better. And I think they're going to make Jalen Hurts' life a lot more difficult than he experienced last week. I I think it's, it's a next level defense. And because of the inexperience on the other side, I know they all believe in Brock Purdy. Who wouldn't? Cat has posted a 116 rating since he took over. In week eight, I believe, 12 straight wins for the 49ers. That ties their franchise record. They looked great 
in the second half against the Seahawks in Super Wild Card Weekend. They looked great against Dallas. Dallas had just on Dak Prescott had what probably was the best game of his career. And the 49ers stoned him. They they took him to the woodshed this past week. Third time in four years the Niners have appeared in the NFC title game, and it's not because of their quarterback most. I give more credit to Garoppolo than a lot of guys do, but I also remind myself what Kyle Shanahan did to Garoppolo the year they got to the Super Bowl. He Bob greasied him. Uh, there were ga- I'm not kidding. You go back and look at the box scores of some of those games late in the year and some playoff games, and yeah, along the way, Garoppolo had some 300-plus yard games. But when it mattered most, Shanahan took the ball out of his hands and he gave it to his running backs. There were, what, 11, 12 pass attempt playoff games for Garoppolo, something to that effect. It was very Bob Greasyan, and Greasy was a great field general, but he was an above average passer. I think only one guy on the offensive side of the ball is more unworthy of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that's Joe Willie Namath. What he did in Super Bowl three is what got him the bust in Canton. It's the most, one of the most impactful, indelible images in NFL history when Namath is walking off of the Orange Bowl with a finger in the air. Champions, despite being 18 and a half point underdogs to the Colts, the Baltimore Colts. Namath threw more interceptions than he did touchdowns in his career. What Greasy did best was tuck the ball in the belly of Larry Zonka, Jim Kick, and Mercury Morris. I don't know how I got off on that tangent. Uh, I, I love San Francisco, <laughs> is, is my point. Last time the, the 49ers lost was in week seven, and that was against a legitimate team. That's against Kansas City. Jalen Hurts got it done against the Giants, but the Giants proved to be one-hit wonders in this postseason against a lifeless Minnesota Vikings team. This is the third time in six years Philadelphia has won the NFC East. They ran for 268 yards against the Giants. That's the second most in franchise history. But they're not going to do that against this San Francisco defense, which also has to contend with a great wide receiving tandem. The Eagles throw out there, AJ Brown and Devonte Smith. Each of them had five 100 yard receiving games this year. Do you know how many a hundred yard receiving games bears wide receivers had this year? None. And since a, a lot of you who are listening to this, I assume a lot of you are sports radio consumers all roads lead to Lake Forest, right? Everything has to come back to the Bears. The Bears didn't have any wide receiver with a 100-yard game this year. Not a one. 23-year-old Brock Purdy has played enough mistake-free football. He's only been intercepted three times with 16 touchdown passes. But it's the defense I like against the Eagles. And that's a huge statement. Because the Eagles are a bitch up front. What do they have? Three guys make first team all pro. Lane Johnson is the most well-known of the bunch. They also have Jason Kelsey, 
the less known of the flying Kelsey brothers, but not in Philadelphia. He's a hero there. Now, something that could could hamper the Niners, and I'm still picking them. I'm taking the two and a half and hoping it goes up to three. I'm not price shopping yet on that one. I think the Eagles will go up to three by kick, and I'll take the extra uh, extra half a point. Give me the hook there if I can get it. Both running backs are a little bit gimpy this week. Christian McCaffrey is nursing a bad calf, and Elijah Mitchell, who hopefully will stay in bounds next time he gets an opportunity to keep the clock moving. He's got a groin problem, and groins are not good for anybody in the NFL, particularly a guy who has to remain swivel in his hips and and, and beat you that way, and that's what Elijah Mitchell is. And if his groin is bothering him, that's a problem for San Francisco. I'm taking the Niners. Give me the Niners. I said on Monday's podcast I wanted to get to a few questions Uh, open up the mailbag on this one. And I'm only going to do two because I I, I didn't get this out in social until very late in the game. I want to address, first of all, Brett Olson, who got to me on Facebook. And you can do the same thing. Get to me. And if you want, get under my skin if you think you can. Brett asked this question. What would be a failed draft in offseason for the Bears? And that is a great question because I've been of the opinion recently They can't screw this up. Now, they can draft guys who don't pan out, but in theory, trading down to get more picks, and that's what I think Ryan Poles will do, and future picks, those guys may pan out, but it's still the right thing to do. The old Jerry Angelo theory. Uh, It didn't work out, but just because it didn't work out doesn't mean it wasn't the right idea. I know that sounds like pretzel logic, but I I, I very much agreed with Angelo when he said that. They're going to trade down. They're going to get a a chance to draft somebody who's not a quarterback, and we got all the confidence in the world. Houston or somebody else up high is going to fall in love with either C.J. Stroud or the kid from Alabama. And the kid from Alabama, learn his name, Dan. It's Bryce Young. I can't think of that name from time to time. That's because I don't watch as much Tide football as my partner, Vandy. I assume he can get me updated on the terrestrial show on Fridays. Um, the only way this is a failed draft slash offseason is if they if they don't trade down and get multiples, because here's why. You need at least two new offensive linemen this year. I don't care where it comes. If they're both free agents, if one's a free agent and one's a second-round draft pick, that's fine. you got to get yourself at least two new starters. It's pretty hard to uproot three of them in one offseason. Two would be nice if you get quality to replace them. And you've got to hit a home run with a wide receiver. That That's just I, – I don't know. Unless Chase Claypool – I'll ring the what-if bell. Ding. Um, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings or her wings. you've got to have a guy unless chase claypool is is that guy and what we saw in a small sample size this year i hate that term but if what we saw uh, since he was acquired if that doesn't turn around they better got get a home run hitter yeah i think it's a long shot Devontae adams winds up in chicago i know that's on a lot of people's wish lists and it should be because He's the most awesome receiver in the game. He's 31. Are the Bears going to be good enough before that arrow points down? To me, it didn't do it this year. I thought he had a hell of a season. Jefferson in Minnesota was better on paper. 
Cooper Cup the year before was better on paper. This dude's a game changer. This dude's also physical and tough. So great question by Brett Olson. I hope I've answered it. It would be difficult to fail in this offseason for the Bears. And to me, not getting two new starters up front on the offensive line and hitting a home run with a wide receiver. And I'll throw a third one in there. You got to get a goddamn pass rusher because you don't have one. You don't have a guy who makes opponents say, hmm, better block this son bitch. They don't have that. So you got to go get one. You got to have a pass rusher. Uh, another Facebook pal wants my opinion on the NFL's terrible integrity problem. And he appoint, he points mostly to officiating. The NFL has some integrity issues, but how much it's going to suffer from them, I, I, I don't think it will. It hasn't to this point. It remains, and by miles and miles, the most craved sports product in America. And that's what matters most, despite five games being played in Europe in 2023. What matters most is what they do here in the States. And they are kings. They own a day of the week. The church used to own it. Now it's theirs. Albert Brooks in concussion. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's a great movie. The world is never going to get its head around how good these NFL officials are. Yeah, you know, the people don't get it. I think some people in the officiating profession, even high school refs get it. They know how hard it is. We saw 10, 12 years ago what replacement referees looked like and immediately was it after the second week when Green Bay was in Seattle When the league said, all right, we got to throw our hands in the air. We got to get these regulars back here because these these guys we've hired, and a lot of them were very well credentialed. Lots of replacement refs had skins on the wall at the college level. Um, Most of them at the college level, some of them in differing leagues, but the, the main dudes were pretty well accredited, and they couldn't hold a candle to the best in the game at the time, the Tony Correntes. And Ed Hockley, before he fell in love with uh, his celebrity, and uh, some other very, very Gene Steratore was was very good in his early years. Bill Vinovich was a guy I trusted under the hood. I miss the hood. The iPad just doesn't cover it. The NFL does. You know, it, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. There are going to be mistakes. Hopefully, replay will get better. It has gotten better as we've gone along from the early days in the late 80s. Replay has improved several times. What needs to be reviewable is everything. Simple solution. People say, no, it's going to delay the game. No, it's not. You give the coaches the same number of challenges. If they want to blow one in the first series of the game because you see the opposing offensive tackle holding your defensive tackle and you know there's indisputable video proof of it, then you can blow your challenge in the first quarter if you like. You only get two. You only get two. Same number of of challenges. That's what the NFL needs to do to make replay better. Seems pretty obvious, but some things that are obvious don't get enacted. I don't think the NFL has any worries about its integrity issues, even though it has many. 
you see D. Maurice Smith commenting on the NFL this week? Check it out. It's it's not complimentary of the league. Lastly, and I'll try to make this brief. Um, today is the anniversary. January 26th is the anniversary of the Bears Super Bowl championship in New Orleans. It was the first Sunday I, I didn't have to work Bears radio that year. I was a 24-year-old intern at WGN Radio, and that was a fun job. Good time to be at the Bears flagship, right? 1985. Pretty significant year. I uh, I got blind drunk in the second half of that game. So happy to celebrate the Bears just kicking the crap out of somebody and giving Chicago its first championship in my lifetime, at least one that I could remember. I was still crapping in a diaper when they won the 63 championship over the Giants 14 to 10 at Wrigley Field. Uh, so it was, it, well, and the Chicago Sting had won a few, but I, I don't recognize soccer. Um, I mean, I recognize it. I know it, it exists, but I don't recognize the Chicago Sting out at Rosemeisen, the Rosemont Horizon, as, as a significant championship. More than what the Bears did that day, I want to talk about my first friend in life. Darren Soroviak, uh was born on January 26th of 1962. He was my first pal, one of my first memories in life, was watching Darren's house get built across the street. That was at 9331 O'Day Drive. My residence was 9324. My mom and I were sitting on the front porch of the house as we were watching the construction crew put up that small two-story. Most of the homes in the neighborhood were starter home ranches. That's what my hometown of Highland, Indiana was. And she was telling me, you know, the family that moves in has a boy your age. And I'm like, wow, a friend, a new friend right across the street. Do you recall the snowstorm of 67? You know, if you're my age, you do. Anybody much younger doesn't. That was on Darren's fifth birthday, Jan 26th of of 67. And I'm trying to get across the street to go to his birthday party. And I, 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 the snow had drifted so high. I slipped in the snow. His present went flying in the air. And I, I was lying on the ground all bundled up. And I couldn't pick myself up to get, you know, in the old snow suits that were really tight. I was Ralphie's little brother in a Christmas story. I couldn't get up. I'd fallen and I couldn't get up. So Darren's older sister, Carol, was watching from their window across the street, and she bundled up, and she came across the street to help fat little Danny get up and uh, and come across the street. Darren was my first friend in life, and we remained friends for so many years. Darren died three years ago, and uh, I know... There's an adage to which I subscribe, always leave them laughing, um, talking about somebody's death when they're in their 50s is not happy. And it certainly wasn't a happy time in my life. We had stayed in touch. We bumped into each other at White Sox games. Darren was a terrific baseball player uh, as an amateur, a big White Sox fan. And for 30 or so years, he served our hometown as a police officer and um, put his ass on the line. Pretty safe town, but you still, you find scenarios where you're putting your ass on the line. Anytime you pull somebody over, So he served our community for many years, and he was a victim of the same rare brain disease that had claimed the lives of two of his four sibs, Terry Soroviak, who was one of my sister's best friends right across the street, 
for many years and his sister carol also passed janet is still here she's uh she was a year younger than darren and uh, and betty is still here but uh, darren's family did things for me i never for, will forget and be grateful for when my mother was unavailable they opened their doors to me i grew up in an era when we shared more than the concrete in front of our homes we shared our homes we had holiday barbecues together everybody felt safe in that humble little neighborhood on the south side of highland and every time the calendar says january 26th i i am sad because darren is not here anymore he died uh, right around christmas in the first year of the pandemic in 19 i celebrate all the good that came out of my friendship with him and the enormous generosity his his mom and dad Yvonne and Frank Soroviak extended me when I needed a roof over my head and my mom wasn't available I want to thank you for listening I hope you enjoy championship weekend please come back on Monday because I will be here with yet another spirited postseason edition of the Danny Mac podcast thanks Adam Delavid at Bet Rivers thank you Sam Michael Mr. Chief Boy he's going to have a long face this coming weekend at Arrowhead Stadium because it's going to be Burrowhead Stadium one more time I'm Dan McNeil and I'm out thanks for listening bye thanks for listening to the Danny Mac podcast on the Bet Rivers Network